1 Corinthians chapter 10, and we're going to read together the first 13 verses as we prepare ourselves to consider the Word of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Moreover, brethren, I would not that ye should be ignorant how that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea and were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea and did all eat the same spiritual meat and did all drink the same spiritual drink. For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them and that rock was Christ. But with many of them, God was not well pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things were our examples to the intent we should not lust after evil things, as they also lusted. Neither be ye idolaters as were some of them. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Neither let us commit fornication as some of them committed and fell in one day three and twenty thousand. Neither let us tempt Christ as some of them also tempted and were destroyed of serpents. Neither murmur ye as some of them also murmured and were destroyed of the destroyer. No, all these things happened unto them for ensamples, and they are written for our admonition, upon whom the ends of the world are come. Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faith who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape, that ye may be able to bear it. We're going to end our reading there. We trust the Lord will bless his word to our hearts for Jesus' sake. This morning we're going to take as our text the 13th verse that we just read. And we're going to consider what I am entitling God and impasses. God and impasses. How does God deal with what we see as impasses? Before we go further, let's just ask the Lord to use his word in our hearts for Jesus' sake. Lord in heaven, now we would pray that you'll bless the word of God. We pray that you will now use it to glorify thyself, to lift up thy Son before us, to cause us to be those that rely upon the ministry of the Spirit. We would pray that thou wouldst help us, O God, to hear the voice of the Lord Jesus in the Word even this day. May we consider the faithfulness of our God, the power and the purposes of our God. Lord, may we find ourselves quickened, encouraged, instructed, Lord, to follow closely after that one who is our shepherd, who is, in fact, the pilot of our souls. Lord, bless now. Meet with us in the word. 
To this end, I pray that thou wouldst help me as I serve, and I plead the helping of the Spirit of God and the direction of the same. And this we pray in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. There hath no temptation you, or taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able. But will with the temptation also make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. This morning I want us to begin by offering an explanation of what this text means. In that regard, let's note that sometimes the words used lead us to conclusions that are narrower in our thinking than what is intended by the message of the text. I will explain. We tend to take this verse uh, to say that the word temptation is restricted to the seducing of the mind and heart to commit sin. Temptation is the temptation to sin. Well, it certainly can mean that. God does not allow his people to fall under the domination of sin to such a point that they are helpless before it. Also, please note the word common can be offered as the word moderate. This means that the nature of the temptation that we face is not superhuman or beyond the graces of God to overrule. The temptation is only within the realm of the ability of the child of God to bear and win the victory. Now all of that I've just said is absolutely true. That is a very common meaning of the text and it is completely correct. But there is another aspect to the word temptation that we overlook. Charles Hodge, in his comments on the book of 1 Corinthians, mentions that the word temptation can also and should be thought of as the word trial or the word affliction. It can, then, refer to the hardest of times when the heart and soul of the believer is at a place where he is unable to see his way to bear up under the burden of what he faces. It is a time of great heartache or a time of great strain on the presence of faith. It is a testing, it is a trying, it is a hard time for soul and spirit. Now, I will illustrate what is being said there by using the incident of the Israelites at the Red Sea. There was a very trying of their hearts as they saw the Egyptians approaching. They were at an impasse. What could they do? Think about it with me. What could Israel do as they saw the Egyptians approaching and there they are trapped in this place by the Red Sea? They were at an impasse. There was no answer that they could see. There is no way to even think of what could be done. What is the help? They didn't know. Couldn't see. The point of the words here is that sometimes a believer arrives at such a point. But for him, 
There is not the hopelessness of the unbeliever. His God is faithful and will, with the moment of trial of faith, offer a way to escape as he did in the opening of the sea. In my times of impasse, my God makes ways for me to escape, as it were. Perhaps we could illustrate this by using the day in which the Lord Jesus was to come to visit the house of Jairus. You know that story. Jairus, the ruler of the synagogue, whose daughter lay dying, and he comes and beseeches the Lord that he would come down to his house before his child died. And on the way, as they are approaching, the word is received that the daughter has died. There was a moment in which all seemed lost. But all was well because Jesus intervened. He looked at Jairus at this moment of extreme sorrow and helplessness. He looked at this time in which the man could do absolutely nothing but grieve. And he says at the hearing of the awful message of the daughter's death, verse 36 of Mark 5, as soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he saith unto the ruler of the synagogue, do not, or be not afraid, only believe. Be not afraid, only believe. There is the plainness of the subject that we're dealing with here. Hopelessness comes only if the Lord allows himself to be found unfaithful. Wait, stop thinking. Hopelessness comes only if the Lord allows himself to be found unfaithful. Now, my question to you would be, when has that ever been the case? Here then is the paraphrase of the text that is very possibly a key meaning, though not to the exclusion of of what we said about the temptation to sin. But I'm going to paraphrase based on what was suggested uh, in Mr. Hodge's commentary. It could be that this verse says this, There hath no trial taken you, but such as is moderate or bearable to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tried above that ye are able, but will with the impasse also make a way to escape that ye may be able to bear it. What a wonderful thought. In the times when I can't see how I can possibly go forward, there's nothing that I can do in this situation. My God is faithful to me and will in that moment make a way that I can go that I might be able to bear this moment and then go on with him and know the benefits of his grace. So my proposition to you this morning is this, that God's faithfulness, God's faithfulness is the place of our faith. We must set our minds on the fact of God's faithfulness, not the ability of our heart to imagine a solution to our impasses. So, I come then to our first point. And I want us to think on this, and I'm entitling this point, the central message. The central message. What is being said then? Well, 
Let me explain. It is very easy for us to get so caught up with the thought of escaping our impasses or more to the point, escaping the disaster that the impasse promises that we lose sight of what we are supposed to concentrate on. We're so consumed with the moment, we're consumed with the problem, we're consumed with the disaster that's impending that we forget to think and to set our hearts on what we are told to do and told to set our hearts on. We are told plainly that with every time of severe testing, God will be found faithful. Now, that's not a probability. That's an absolute certainty. God will be found faithful. Further, we are to concentrate our minds on the faithfulness of our God to fulfill all that he has promised to and through Jesus Christ. God will be faithful to Christ. Everything that he's promised him, he's going to do it. Everything that has been promised through him, he's going to do it. It will not be otherwise. He will be found faithful. Again, Hodge makes the comment, and I paraphrase him here. Strength and security do not come by grace infused into the saint by regeneration. In other words, just because you own grace given by the hand of God, that does not make you secure or strong. Nor by their own firmness or your ability, but by the fidelity of God. He has promised his son that those given to him will never perish. There's the strength of it. Child of God, understand when you're in a time when you cannot see how to go forward, you are to concentrate your mind on this. God has made a promise to his son. He will not go back on that. He will undertake for you if you are in Christ. He cannot do otherwise. He must help you. He must open the way for you to escape, as it were. Here then is the matter. Number one. We are not delivered in our moments of temptation and trial by the careful strivings of our own wits. Well, the writer of the Proverbs puts it this way. Lean not to your own understanding. Don't think you've got it figured out or think that you have what God has to do for you to find your way successfully through this situation. Don't lean to your own wits. But cast yourself upon the faithfulness of God. Let me ask you the question, using the illustrations that we used a moment ago. How could Israel ever have figured her way out of being trapped by the sea? Just think about it. What could she have done in that moment when here comes Pharaoh's army. She's in this narrow little place by the sea. She can't turn to the right hand, can't turn to the the left. The only thing she can turn around is see the swords and the spears and the chariots and so forth. That's all she has as an option. What do you think her wits would have done to help her in that moment? Let me ask you a different way. How could Jairus bring life back to his daughter? He was at an impasse. He could have thought for the rest of his life, how can I undo this? It would never have worked. How is he going to bring life back to her? All is impossible. 
And let me just simply say that teaches a lesson. And that is this, that you will never, ever see a deliverance from any mountain of an impasse by your own powers. It can't happen. Why? Why can't it happen? Well, I think the reason is this. That God has ordained that in such times, His people will see His faithfulness and know His arm undertaking. We are to be those who look to Him and rest on His character. He is faithful. The purpose of God is for us to trust in Him. When the disciples were in the boat. You know the story. The disciples were in the boat and the water's coming over the side of the boat. And they're all getting wet and they're convinced that these waves are so high that soon the boat's going to capsize and they're all going to drown in the midst of the sea. And here's the Lord seemingly asleep, completely oblivious to what's going on. You know, doesn't that seem like how we think of the Lord sometimes when we're in our problems? The Lord's asleep. He's not listening. He's not hearing. He's not even aware of what's going on. He's in the back of the boat asleep. And they go to the Lord and they ask the question. Again, this is an awful question. This is a terrible question for any child of God to say, Lord, carest thou not? Oh, that's awful. Carest thou not? That we perish. We're at an impasse here. Our boat will sink. Don't you care? What are you doing back here sleeping? And the Lord gets up and he rebukes. He opens a way that they might escape. He rebukes the wind. Could they have ever thought that that would be what would be done? No, because afterwards it says they marveled and saying, what kind of a man is this that even the winds and the waves obey him? He rebukes and then he turns to them and he asks what? Or says what? O ye of little faith oh ye of little faith there's the point that even in the midst of our impasses the times that we cannot see our way forward we are to count the Lord faithful and we are to believe that our God will open the way for us to go forward to his own glory and to our best good that is what is being taught Secondly, under this, this message is that deliverance is rarely, if ever, construed, if we're truthful, as a change of circumstance. Deliverance is never just that circumstances change so that we would be there. Oh, if only this, if only that, if only. If we got any one of our if onlys, the situation would not be solved. We need the Lord to do his perfect will, his perfect work. And I will say this, the day only changes when the Lord Jesus shows himself and not until then. Our impasse only changes when the Lord shows himself. Whether it's the Lord rebuking the wind or the Lord touching the funeral buyer or whether the Lord calls into the mouth of a tomb. When that happens, then things change. He opens a way in which the people of God can bear it. So I say again, the point is simply this. The only way in which a child of God can bear up in the impasses of life is faith in the faithfulness of God. And again, I stress to you that deliverance is not mere endurance of or noticing an escape hatch 
in the moment of crisis. Deliverance is seeing the hand of God and following. The shepherd goes forward, I follow. The pilot of my soul steers and I go where he goes. Where he opens the way, I go. Second, second point. The application of the message. We looked at the central message and I want to see the application of this message. And there is a point to be made here that is very simple, but very important. We are those who are to give ear to what these words say and then on the basis of these words we are to betake ourselves to God in the hour of our impasse or in the hour in which we cannot see our way forward. We are to betake ourselves to God. The instruction that is implied is this. When you go to God in the time of distress, it is more important that you plead his character of faithfulness back to him than it is to plead your need. Let me say that again. When you are in the hour of impasse, the hour where it seems all is bleak, there's no hope, there is absolutely nothing that can be done in this moment, it is more important for you to take and plead before the throne of God his faithfulness than it is for you to plead about your need. Lord, you are this. Lord, you have said this. Lord, the Lord Jesus is this. On the basis of that which you are, I plead before your throne. You know my need, quite frankly. I don't even understand the fullness of my need. I don't know it from beginning to end. I don't know. I, I'm, I'm just here in a place I don't know what to do. I don't understand what I'm seeing. I don't know which way to go to the right hand or to the left. I don't know any of this. You know all that. I don't. So I'm not going to plead about my need. I'm going to plead what I do know, and that is that you are faithful. God is faithful. This is not only truth. But this is a substantial and powerful plea before God. I want you to understand that. God's faithfulness is not only truth, but it is a substantial plea before the throne of God. Let me just cite you a couple of other statements in Scripture. 2 Thessalonians 3 verse 3 says, But the Lord is faithful, who shall establish you and keep you from evil. Does that not sound like what we're talking here in 1 Corinthians 10? The Lord is faithful, who will establish you and keep you from evil. 1 Thessalonians 5.23 And the very God of peace sanctify you holy, or set you apart holy. And I pray God your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he that calleth you, who also will do it. Do what? Bring you to the day of Jesus Christ and present you faultless. To present you as the one that is his bride, the one without spot or wrinkle. He is going to do this. You are to then consider him faithful to that. Keep your mind on the faithfulness of God. That is your plea. 
The Lord will keep his promises because he is faithful to his promise to Christ. We have that as a plea that we are to use. Now, number three. I want us to consider the character of the escape. It says that our God will also make a way of escape. Let's think about that for a second. Let's think about the character of the escape. How effective is the escape that the Lord provides? Well, I'm going to say it. I'm going to ask a question and put it this way so we can kind of see where I'm heading. Is it possible that God, when he offers an escape for the people of God, that he does it as a halfway measure? Does the Lord's deliverances or the Lord's escape solve some of the problem, but leaves some of the problem for the saint to wrestle with shortly thereafter? Well, I think you see where I'm heading. My point to you is this. The character of the escape that God provides for us as his people is directly tied to the character of the one who provides the way. As God is, so is his deliverance. Psalm 18, verse 30 and following, As for God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is tried. He is a buckler to all those that trust in him. For who is God, save the Lord? Or who is a rock, save our God? It is God that girdeth me with strength and maketh my way perfect. Now, you just heard it. He makes my way perfect. He makes my deliverance perfect. He makes the escape for me perfect. Why? As for God, his way is perfect. He is perfect. He is holy. He is full of truth and grace. As John 1 says of the Lord Jesus. And on that basis I can rest. That what he will do to deliver me. Will be as perfect as he is. Will be as complete. As anything Christ does for his people. The Lord is perfect in all his ways. He is as good in all his works. And is as effective in all his doings. As his person is. And it is up to the child of God to believe, to trust. Let me use another example. You remember that incident when David was compromising himself with the Philistines. And the day comes when he is, because of his compromise and his unwise allegiance, so to speak, he is called on to go with the kings of the Philistines to fight against Saul and his own people. And in the providence of God, the goodness of God, the Philistine princes don't like him. Well, you wonder, who stirred them up not to like him? Well, you can say, well, it's just natural bigotry on their part. No, The Lord stirred those men up and gave them an argument that the king of the Philistines couldn't argue with. And that is, what's to say that in the middle of the battle, David somehow doesn't find himself talking to Saul and all of a sudden he turns around and finds himself now on the other side and we are those who are caught in the middle and there we are in a pickle. Let's get rid of this David. He's a liability. 
So, David and David, David, and it shows the silliness of us all. David turns to the king of the Philistines and says, what, are you, what have I done? What have I done that you're sending me back? You say, you nutcase, what are you, what are you thinking here? But David then mopes away and finds himself back to Ziklag. The Lord had delivered him. Now he's at Ziklag. What's happening at Ziklag? He comes back to find that the city has been burned and all their wives and children and goods have been carried away by the marauders. And David's men look at him and say, we're going to stone you. You took us away from our children and our wives and our homes and our goods. We lost everything now because of what you were doing playing with the Philistines. What is this? And they were about to stone him. But David, it says, encouraged himself in the Lord. In other words, in this moment of an impasse, what what could you do in a moment like that? What could be done? He encouraged himself in the Lord. He remembered the Lord his God. And the Lord said to him, you go out and you follow after the Amalekites, you'll catch them. But then there was the statement, and this was a summary thing, and this, I say, shows the nature of the escape that God provided. It says of David, and again, I say this is a prophetic statement, because it's speaking more of the greater David than even the historic David that we read of in 1 Samuel. It says... And David recovered all. There's the nature of God's opening of the escape. You say, why why would God have allowed Ziklag to be burned? Frankly, David didn't belong in Ziklag, quite honestly. He shouldn't have been there in the first place. Get rid of the place. His place was to be with his people in the in the land of Judah. He was supposed to be there. Eventually he realizes that and he comes back. God burns this place that was a distraction to him and causes him by his power to go out, recover all, so that all men are satisfied. They hail David as a great, great leader now, far from wanting to stone him. But my point is this. The escape that the Lord made was as perfect as God himself because it dealt with various needs that had to be dealt with in David's life to bring him to the place where he could enter into the land of Judah, not as one who was now defeated, but as one who was, in fact, a hero in the eyes of the people to whom they readily came after the death of Saul and said, we want to make you king. The character of the escape... But God is faithful who will with the impasse make a way of escape that you might be able to bear it. And the way that he's going to make is going to be perfect. Our place is to do what David did and that is to trust in the faithfulness of our God. Not trust in our wits, not trust in uh, how we see things working. No, we trust that God is faithful. We don't go any further than that. So I have one last thought and with this I'm done. I want us to think about the implication of the escape. The implication of the escape is the fact that it is God's way of providential help means that there is no better way 
in which the child of God should go. There's the point. The only way that we should ever want to go is God's way. We want to go in God's providence. We want to go with God's blessing, with God's help. You know, I will tell you very plainly that when you get into a situation that's an impasse, there may seem to be other alternatives that you will have. Things that are less stressful or less costly. There may be ways that seem to be less filled with turmoil than the way that God would have you to go. I don't, I don't think I should be, have to stand up and take this on myself. Well, yeah. And the world is filled with people who will give you all kinds of ideas of what you should do. You know, I say, perhaps it would have occurred to the Israelites there on the side of the Red Sea that they perhaps should surrender to Pharaoh's army. Maybe some of them would have been spared, though they would have returned to even worse bondage than they had before. But they didn't have to do that because God provided the way. You think about the different places where there may have been other alternatives as it were, but they were not alternatives. You think about the three Hebrew children. Now you think about them. I mean, could, could you imagine being in their place? Here you are, you're going to be thrown into a furnace by people that hate you and will be glad to stand out there and, and watch you fry, so to speak. But they weren't going to. And God made a way of escape. Think about Daniel. He could have said, well, I won't, I, I, I'll just, maybe I'll stand quietly when nobody's watching and I'll pray to God. No, he said, I'm not going to do that. I am going to continue to worship the Lord my God as I know he would have me to do that. Well, here you go, Daniel. In with the lions. But God made a way of escape, didn't he? What did the lions do? Nothing. Nothing. You think about when Peter and John went up to the temple and they were laid, the hands were laid on them because they were preaching in the name of the Lord Jesus and they were beaten and told, you will not speak anymore in the name of this Jesus of Nazareth. And Peter looks at them square in the face and says, whether it be right in, the sight of, in your sight or not, uh, we best obey God before men. And they went that way out of there, glad to have been able to bear the reproach. My question was, how many other times did the Lord come and, as it were, uh, deliver them in a way that nobody would have imagined? Where is Peter and John? Well, they're not in the cell anymore. What do you mean they're not in the cell? Didn't you post guards? Yes, we posted guards, but, and they stood there all night. But where are they? I don't know where they are. Uh, um, um, Captain, we know where they are. They're in the temple teaching the people. How did they get there? I don't know. But they're there. Peter, sleeping between two soldiers. The angel comes, kicks him in the side. Says, wake up. Put your shoes on. Gird your robe around you. He gets up, walks out. The gates open in front of him of their own accord. God providing a way of escape. No one would have ever thought that that's how it would have worked. But there was no better way for them to go. It is never better for a child of God to seek his own deliverance 
than to go the way that God says for us to go, though it may seem to cost us everything at the moment. So the point, again, the, the whole point boils down to this. That you and I, and you will find there will be moments like this in your life. You will find probably many times where you're at an impasse. You can't go forward, you cannot go backwards, you can't go to the right hand or the left in any way or any, with any, any certainty. But the Lord says in those moments, you turn your mind, you turn back to the faithfulness of your Savior, your shepherd, to guide you, to pilot you, to steer you to the way of escape that you might be able to bear what he is calling on you to go through. You trust in his character. You trust in his faithfulness. The devil will tell you, oh, now that's foolishness. (laughs) The devil is a liar and the father of it. No, that's exactly what we're to do. Trust in the Lord at all times. The psalmist says, pour out your heart before him. Yes. Yes. Casting all your care on him, for he careth for you. God's faithfulness is where we're to stop our thinking. Well, may the Lord bless his word to our hearts today for Jesus' sake. Father in heaven, now we pray that you will bless the word of God. We pray that thou will let it be that which guides us in our thinking, in our minds, and in our hearts. Lord, we want to be those whose reliance, whose hope is in the Lord. We pray that you will let us be those that can rest there, knowing that the God of all the earth does right. He does that which is pleasing in his sight. He does that which is good for his people. He does that which is glorifying for his own name and for the name of the Lord Jesus. Now, God, we pray that you'll continue to speak to us as we go through this day. Keep our hearts and minds close to thyself, we would ask, all in Jesus' precious name and for his sake. Amen.